coming. We long for his light. We hope in his kingdom when all wrongs are made right.
take these hands, take our feet, take our bodies, take our souls, God. It's all yours. We give it all to you this morning. And God, in Romans 12, you say, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of, a, of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, and the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does act of mercy with cheerfulness. So Spirit, we ask you this morning, reveal in us what it is that you have given to us. What gifts have you blessed us with? And God, we declare to you that we're going to give them back 100% in everything that we have. We're going to serve you because we see serving as an act of love and an act of worship, God. And so let us be used by you. Use our hands, use our feet. We give it all to you this morning, God. We thank you for your holy scripture. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. You may be seated. Yes, you may be seated. You have not found your way to the door department at Menards. You're actually in Common Ground Church here. Welcome uh, to Common Ground. My name is Nick. Uh, great to see you all. Uh, we want to start the day off after uh, a rousing worship song uh, to just let you know of some things that are happening, things that are going on, and there are things going on, and so we want you to be informed of that. Uh, so first of all, today, February 27th, uh, we're having a church membership class. Is that right? Okay, and that'll be right after church, and lunch is included with that because, you see, that's our gimmick. If we put food out, people show up. That kind of, that's why we have so many donuts out there. Hope you need some carbs because we've got the, we've got the refill for you. Uh, Square One Discipleship Training is the reason we have so many donuts there, but uh, we have decided that we're going to postpone that to after the Mexico mission trip, so please stay tuned for when we reboot that and get that going again. It will be 8.30 on Sunday mornings, and there will be a plethora of donuts. Do you guys see this? Okay. We now have Common Ground coffee mugs available. All right. Yes. Yes. And you can get your very own for $15. Yes, that's right. Only $15. What, why are we charging $15 for a coffee mug? That just seems exorbitant and, and extravagant. But no, actually, it's a fundraiser so that we can buy equipment that we can take down for the Mexico mission trip. So you're, you're not just getting a, a perfectly good coffee mug. You're also going to be helping the Mexico mission trip out. So we encourage you to do that. You can pay with cash there in Dark or you can buy them online. Buy one. No, buy two. Okay? No, buy three or four, and then your Christmas shopping will be done. Okay? Another good reason to buy the mug is you don't know where those lids on the paper cups have been. You don't know. You got your own mug? You know where this has been. And if there's something wrong with it, that's your fault. So anyway, get your common ground mug. I had too much fun with that. 
We have a thing called Hot Topics, and that happens on Sunday evenings. And yes, we are having Hot Topics tonight. The time will be, what time is it? Yeah. Seven. Seven? Six three. I'm confused. Buy a coffee mug. And... <laughs> Anyway, come down at 6.30 or 7 and, uh, and uh, do hot topics. Tonight, it's going to be extra spicy, our hot topics. I don't know if they mean the food's going to be extra spicy, but uh, the topic tonight is on gender. So, um, yeah, come. If you don't think there's enough violence in the world right now today, uh, just come and talk about uh, gender at hot topics. Uh, also, uh, we have our tax contribution forms completed, bless you, and uh, you want to see Chris if you want to receive those contribution forms. Chris, where are you? Chris, just stand up. Stand up and wave. That's Chris. Okay, thank you, Chris. And uh, he will make sure you get those. And also, just seriously, do want to thank Chris and Sally and Winter and everybody else who helps uh, deal with the finances here at the church. And uh, if that's something that you might be gifted in doing, you're a bean counter, number runner, that kind of thing, um, you know, please see Chris because we can always use more help uh, in that area. And then there's about three opportunities that we have to, uh, to serve that are being made available to us. We just wanted to let you know about that. If this is something you'd be interested in doing, um, come and see me sometime after the service, and I can help you get more information about that. The first one is uh, during the, the motorcycle rally coming up in August, there will be a church out of Pennsylvania, CMA Church, Christian Missionary Alliance, uh, that sent some guys out here, bikers, who hit the streets, and uh, they share Bibles with people, they share the good news with people and encouragement with people, and they need housing. So if you would be willing to provide uh, a room for uh, some of these guys or one of these guys to come and stay, uh, that would be great. Just come and see Evan or myself about that. Uh, another opportunity is um, I'm working with somebody right now that uh, does uh, host or, or that leads the um, hosting for foreign exchange students, and they're already working on next year finding homes where host homes for where these foreign exchange students can come in. And uh, what a great opportunity! You may not go into the world uh, to be a witness for Christ, but God can send the world to you. So if that's something you might be interested in, uh, please come and see me, and I'd be happy to talk to you about that. And also, I have a friend uh, who uh, works for uh, Youth for Christ International, and um, they have a team in Kiev. And if you've been watching the news, you know there's stuff going on there. And if you're thinking, what can we do to help our brothers and sisters out who are in Kiev? Uh, because a lot of Christians have chosen to stay. While there's a mass exodus leaving Kiev, um, many have chosen to stay so that they can offer sustenance and help uh, to those during these very difficult times. And if you'd like to know more about that, again, please come see me and I can get you some direct information of ways that we can practically help out uh, during this very tragic time that's going on over there. So if you want to know more about things that are happening at Common Ground, just go to our website, Common Ground Church. Uh, cma.org, uh, go to the events and updates tag and order your mug, and, uh, and it'll be great, okay? So it's time for our social inner awkward time. That's where we just get up and we say hello to one another. Um, if you need a prompt, if you need a prompt, just, uh, um, yeah, go tell people why you want a Common Ground mug.
Common ground, let's continue in worship.
You may be seated. It is at this time that we give of our tithes, we give of our offerings, we give of ourselves. And I just want to take a moment to thank every single person here in this church um, and those who specifically have given back to this church and who've made it a practice to give. I just want to thank you so much um, for being part of this church, being part of this community. Uh, we just so much appreciate it. Um, with that, we're going to enter into our offering song. Um, so if you feel led to sing along, please do. But if you want to just sit silently and reflect on the words, that's okay too. Um, and going along with that, um, I just want to point out that we do have our giving links listed on the screen. Um, please feel free to give those. Otherwise, we have a giving box in the back corner. Apparently, I have too many sheets this morning.
earth, to take on flesh, to live a perfect life, and to die for us, to take on every sin, so that God's wrath would be satisfied, and so that we would be granted a seat at your table, Jesus. What an amazing gift. That doesn't even capture how beautiful it is, what you've done for us. So God, it's from this place that we humbly recognize what you've done. We praise you for it. We praise in your holy name. Amen. So it's at this time that we enter into our time of prayer that we set aside um, in each worship service um, to pray for one another. Um, but we get the special privilege of doing something different today, and that is commissioning the team that is traveling to Mexico next Saturday, or I guess this Saturday, as you'd probably say. So I'm going to go ahead and invite up the team. Um, if you are traveling on Mission Mexico, come on up here. And there are a few who are absent, so make space up here for those guys. I'm going to hand one of these to you. I'm going to hand one of these to you. All right. Leave space for Kaylee and space for Lindsay, because um, there are, yeah, I mean, they're not that big. They're, but <laughs> so you guys are traveling to Mexico, well, and I'm going with, so I'm in this line. Uh, on Saturday, 
we're headed down there, and so we're going to spend some time on praying over you guys. But before we do that, Chris, can you tell us what exactly are we going to do down there? And then include a little bit about where we're going as well. Yeah, so just a little bit of background on the Mexico trip. So we head down to El Paso Juarez area, and the Mexico churches send vans up and pick us up there in El Paso, across the border, and we go about four hours south and then about two hours west, west of Juarez. Um, and so it's crazy as you come out of uh, Juarez, it's just desert and desert and desert. And then all of a sudden you turn and start going west, and it's like we've traveled 14 hours to get back to the Black Hills. Mm-hmm. Um, just a lot like it. Just huh? rolling hills with uh, ponderosa pine and some cornfields in between. So very cool place. But our goal has been or working with these churches um, who have been going down there for the last 20, 30 years. The goal has been to build up the local churches so that they can be reaching down into the Copper Canyon to the tribes there. Um, and just those tribes need a lot of help, and even the locals need a lot of help, just mm-hmm. as we know of all the stuff going on down in Mexico. Um, and so we'll go down. Um, there's a pastor's retreat that we'll put on with the other churches on, like Thursday, Friday, two or three days. Um, there will be pastors and their wives that will travel two to three days to get there. Uh, just crazy, and literally walking out of the canyon to get hop on a pickup and then get to the city or the village we're in um and so we'll do that we'll hopefully do a few construction projects but sounds like we got a quite quite a bit smaller crew this year um a lot of years we'll have 20 to 30 and this year we have 13 total so mm-hmm. but yeah just super cool place um seeing these relationships that god's helped foster over the last like i said 20 years 30 years um it you go down and you meet see a lot of friends again so mm-hmm. yeah Yeah, and on that topic, Emily, you've been on this trip before. You've gone to Mexico twice? Yes. Twice before. So could you tell us about what some of the, I guess, highlights from the past trip were and so what you're excited for this time around? Yeah. uh, Well, I can definitely start with what I'm excited for this year. I, you didn't prep me. Sorry, I felt like that would would be a great entry into this Thoughts (laughs) about what we've done before. Um, But this year I'm really excited to go um, be a part of just like, helping the pastors of that of Mexico um, with just building them up. My dad's a pastor, and so I understand, like, how hard it is sometimes for those families. And um, so it's, it's an honor, really, to be able to go help. So, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, so <laughs> you don't have to hug me. It's okay. <laughs> but it's um, sweet. But yeah, so um, in the past, we've done so many different things, just, and I have like dabbled in every single project that we have done in the past two years of being in Mexico, and so it's been really fun to uh, experience that. It honestly, like, it feels kind of selfish to go because every time I come back and just feel like so good, <laughs> um, just being with those people being in the presence of uh, God and just like, yeah, uh, being away from my phone. (laughs) So, um, yeah, excited to go back. Um, In the past, I've dug rocks from the river (laughs) (laughs) to use for concrete and like uh, been a part of just the children's ministry, which was really amazing. We went to um, 
a little town um, just outside of Rio Chico and um, picked up kids from the neighborhood and brought them all to our like little kids ministry, our little Bible school, and um, like the whole family would come. Mm-hmm. And so we would like make crafts and <laughs> in whatever Spanish I could conjure up, <laughs> I would uh, hang out with them, teach them how to make the crafts and stuff. And then someone would do a Bible lesson in Spanish and stuff. And it's just been a really good time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So we're looking forward to it this year, getting to go down and serve that community as well. And so we're driving out Saturday morning this week. So Common Ground, take a little mental snapshot of each one of these faces, including in here Kaylee Alfred and Lindsay Mulcahy, um, who will be going as well. Um, Because these guys are going to be down there uh, a long ways away during a pretty tumultuous time in the world, but yet they're going to serve uh, local churches and pastors that are just really pouring their hearts out into these communities. And so, yeah, we're really excited to get to pour back into those guys that do so much in that area and to be able to give them a good, fun, refreshing week for those families. And so with that, take your mental snapshot of these guys so that you'd be praying as we go on through the week. And then we'll be excited to, uh, to recap how it is in a few weeks when we return. Sound good? All right. So with that, would you guys go ahead and bow your heads as we pray? Um, over this team. So, Father God, um, we just thank you um, for Joey, for Lindsay, for Emily, for Winter, for Kaylee, for Chris, uh, for their willingness um, to go on this trip. Uh, God, some of them have put their, put their necks out in terms of school assignments and their grades or in work and using up all their vacation time in order to do this and to give Um, pastors and their families in Mexico a vacation. And so, God, um, I just praise you um, for being the God that would move people into such a selfless decision. Um, We just thank you for that. Um, God, as we um, travel next week, I just pray um, that you would protect us. um, As we drive a 15-passenger van um, all the way down there, um, would you just protect us? Would you just clear the roads, um, keep us safe in that, so that we could focus on the work that you have before us? Um, And so, God, as we interact and as we minister with one another, Um, in traveling, would you just season our conversations with grace? Um, Would you just empower each one of us um, with your spirit that we would be ministering to one another as well? We would be growing closer together as a team and closer to you um, just in the process of working together, um, being out of our comfort zone, um, being trapped in a van together. Uh, Would you just be working in that time? And God, as as we arrive and as we minister to these people, God, would you just empower us um, with the spirit that you have given us um, so that we would just work in ways that we are unable to do on our own strength. And we recognize that us going down there, um, there's nothing significant (laughs) about this team, though I think so highly of them. Um, But God, it's truly because your spirit goes with us and before us that that we have big expectations for what you're going to do. And we just pray um, for those local pastors and their families right now as they are worshiping you um, down there at this very time. Uh, Would you just be preparing their hearts and minds um, to receive um, as these are people who are so used to just giving giving so much, uh, would you just continue to pour into us so that we could give back to them, um, that we could show up and to empower these servants of yours and to encourage these servants of yours and to, to love on um, some of these kids that live in the area um, who might not have these, these school supplies or be able to play um, some of the games that we're going to be able to come and bring them. God, would you just continue to prepare those people um, 
that it would be a time when they don't feel the need to give anything, but they could just sit back and receive. And so, God, I just pray that you do that. And so, God, uh, we just place this team in your hands, and we trust that you will work with them in the ways that you have prepared. And we trust that you will protect them and guide as you see fit. And so, Jesus, we love you, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, guys, and thanks again. I can take it from you. Thanks again for being willing to, uh, to go on this trip and to continue this. Um, Common Ground has gone on this trip for three years, right? So this will be the fourth time, um, but haven't been able to go since 2020. So this is exciting to be able to get back down there and be able to see those faces once again. So be praying for these guys over this next week. And then a huge thank you um, to a lot of you who have supported these guys as they have been fundraising um, to go on this trip, as they have been raising funds. So many of you have just poured out generously to do that. And I think everyone's fully funded, right? I th they, they think so. They might not even know. Um, but I'm pretty sure everybody is. And then some of the supplies and stuff that we have purchased, just thanks for your generosity there. Buying like a dozen basketballs isn't like the cheapest thing in the world, but we're excited to be able to purchase those, to be able to take them down, and that these kids can have those that we can leave with them to play with. Then all the crayons and supplies that we're also bringing, so it should be good. Well, hey, we're going to shift gears here, focus in. Every time we gather on a Sunday morning, we also gather around the scriptures. Um, we believe this is the word of God, and so we gather around it to hear from God. And what we have been doing over the last few weeks is gathering around the book of Hebrews. And we are recognizing that though the book of Hebrews um, is kind of a confusing, complicated book with a lot of Old Testament references, and it's a very slow read if you were to click every single hyperlink on the page and to go back to all these Old Testament places, um, but there's so much there that is so valuable um, if we're able to just take the time and consider what God is speaking to us here. And so that's where we've been for the last few weeks, and last week we finished up Hebrews chapter 6, so today we arrive at Hebrews chapter 7, but what we're going to see in Hebrews chapter 7 is the author or the preacher um, to the church of the Hebrews is that he is reminding them, or he's finally getting into this topic of Jesus as our high priest in the order of Melchizedek, and he's finally getting to this topic after having mentioned it twice before, but he mentions it and introduces it and then doesn't get into it, and then we saw at the end of chapter 5, he mentioned it, and he explained how important it is, but then he said, well, I can't get into it yet, because you guys are not paying attention, you're not ready for it, your baby's stuck on milk, and he took all of chapter 6 to kind of get them ready to hear this message, because he believes this to be such an important, critical thing, and so that's where we saw last week, chapter 6, um, the author, like, shaking us awake and trying to grab our attention, getting us prepared for this main course this very important message of Jesus as our high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Okay. And it's kind of a mysterious thing, but nonetheless, this author thinks it's very, very important um, because when we look at this guy, Melchizedek, who he's saying is just like Jesus, he only appears outside of the book of Hebrews twice in the whole Bible. Once, just in passing, in Psalm 110, and then the actual recording of the story of his interaction with Abraham is in Genesis chapter 14, and that's really all we have about him. But yet, the author of Hebrews here is saying that if you understand more about this guy, Melchizedek, if you understand what he meant and what he pointed to and what he signified, 
you're actually going to understand Jesus so much better. You're going to understand more about who Jesus is if you understand this kind of mysterious, vague figure. He's calling us to pay attention to him, that we need to understand and learn from him as we consider Jesus as our high priest. So we're going to get into this discussion of Jesus as our high priest. And what I think we have to recognize first and foremost is the underlying assumption of the Bible and of the book of Hebrews is, of course, that we need a high priest. That we humans need someone to mediate between us and God, to go for us into the presence of God. And the underlying assumption of this book and of the whole Bible, as we have read from Genesis on, is that mankind was made to be in God's presence, but after the fall, after sin entered the world, was unable to be in God's presence. It's like sinful humanity and God's and God are like two completely different substances that cannot mix. It's like oil and water. They just can't go together. It's like if humans are a dirty rag, being in God's presence is like a bucket of bleach. It's just not safe for a sinful human. And so that's where the high priest was created to be this mediator between man and God. And there's this really important job that was created of high priest. And it had really, really strict and specific requirements of who could be a high priest. And so the interesting thing about this guy, Melchizedek, is that he doesn't seem to fit those qualifications that they were kind of assuming a high priest must have. That he's actually this guy outside of the narrative of high priests, and actually hundreds of years before the high priests, but yet acting in this role. And it's kind of confusing and shocking but we're going to get into that. But one of the main things that we kind of have to understand is this underlying assumption, we need a high priest, and not just anybody can be a high priest. This is like a special set-apart thing. And so as we get into that discussion, um, I think we know, okay, like the priesthood, as we talked about before, has kind of become uh, a little outdated or on the periphery of society, and we're not really too familiar with the work of a priest now. It's fairly different. Um, from where we're at now. And so when we look at people as religious leaders, um, we typically look at like ordination and modern ordination. And whereas if you're going to get ordained with a specific denomination, it's usually pretty difficult. And I kind of went through the ringer when I became ordained. It's actually really easy today to be ordained as a pastor through various different organizations. Um, if you just Google online, um, like ordination, uh, and click through what seem like like the least sketchiest options and find one of those. Um, you can find some where certain religious groups, as long as you're able to click and confirm that you're over the age of 13 and pay them $20, you can be an ordained minister with their religious organization. You can do this. It's pretty easy. It's a pretty easy qualification. And I was clicking through one this last week. I didn't want to pay the $20, so I didn't do it. And also, I would say if you ever do it, make sure you click unsubscribe from those newsletters because I think that's kind of what they do is they just want your email. Um, but a lot of them have made it so easy. Uh, I was just reading why one of them made it so easy. And one of the reasons on this one organization um, that is like a legitimate religious organization, they said that they make it so easy because they believe um, that everyone, anyone and everyone should be able to serve this role 
as a minister because they don't believe any one deity is above any other, but that all religions are really just the same religion, and so the qualification should just be easy. Should just be anyone, everyone. So in the Old Testament, becoming a priest wasn't quite so easy. Not just anyone could click a few buttons, affirm that they're 13 years old, pay the $20, and get in. And so what I want to do um, with you guys today is make everyone feel very bad about themselves. And so if everyone could just stand up right now, we're going to see if anyone in here is actually qualified to be a high priest. Uh, we're going to look through <laughs> some of the biblical requirements and see who is qualified or if anyone is even close. So a lot of these are going to come from Leviticus chapter 22, um, Exodus 28, Numbers chapter 4, and it's this big list of all these different things that you must fulfill these requirements in order to be a high priest of the Most High God. And so, um, the first one is that you could not have any torn clothes. Now, I don't know if that was like at all ever, but just today, if you've got tears in your clothes, disqualified. That was quick. Okay, you, you, you cannot have a defect in your sight. And so, I don't know how bad that is, but I'm just, I'm just going to assume that since they didn't have glasses back then, that if you don't have 20-20 vision, you're disqualified. Okay, so that, that worked out very quickly. Um, you may not be a high priest if you have ever touched a dead body, human or not human. Right? It has to be within... Wow, nobody's left. That was fast. There are a lot more. Uh, w one of which, like, you can't have any chronic diseases, such as leprosy, um, you couldn't have a limb that is too long or too short. So honestly, my right arm, I don't know if it's from all my years of baseball or not, but my right arm is like an inch longer than my left arm. And it's interesting because my left hand is also quite a bit bigger than my right hand, but nonetheless, I have one arm way longer than the other. You cannot have any injured feet or hands. Um, this one's kind of interesting. All it says is you cannot have a mutilated face. Um, I, I don't know how they judged that. I don't know if it meant there had to be some kind of like physical deformity or if they just meant like you can't be too homely. I don't really know what that means. Um, you must be between the ages of 30 and 50. Okay, so that disqualifies some people. Hey, you're still in there. You must be a male. Cuts out around 50% of us. If you are a male, you must have an untrimmed beard, like never. Untrimmed beard, but well-trimmed yet unshaved hair. So hair has to be well-trimmed, but not with any shaving, just trimmed. And here's kind of the big one. You must be a descendant of Aaron with documented lineage. So if you do not have the paperwork, the documented lineage, I'm sorry, you do not qualify to be a high priest in Israel. These are the strict requirements, and there are actually a lot more. I basically read off the ones that to our modern ears would make us not feel the worst or would not kind of trigger most of us um, because there are a lot having to do with health and different things and even some different things involving the individual's reproductive organs and how they function. And so if you think you've had stressful job interviews in the past, it is nothing like a high priest, okay? But the requirements were very, very strict. And what this really emphasizes and what this really shows, 
one, I don't think this is just for us to all be like, wow, I feel bad about myself. Like, my arm is too long. This isn't just to emphasize to make us feel bad or to do this, but this is just to show, first off, just the original Edenic creation that God has made to be perfect and healthy and beautiful and this original picture that God has made of humanity. And it's to show his intentionality um, with where God dwells. Like if we are made to be the temple of the Holy Spirit and you read all the biblical accounts of the temple, every detail was thought out and organized and intricately designed because God is a God who has designed the world with, with order and beauty and all of these safe, healthy functions. And I don't think we have time for it, but if you've ever looked at like, look it up this week and see if you're as troubled by him as me, but if you ever look up like the posts involved in like mildly infuriating images or like mildly infuriating construction fails where there are like, you know, three light switches and they're labeled like, they should be labeled left, center, and right, but instead it's like center, right, left, or like just things that don't line up right. Like, if those kind of things make your skin crawl, which they do for me, and it's like, well, if something is supposed to be made this perfect and it's beautiful, like, that is God's intention with us. But yet, because of sin, um, these things have kind of gone off and just been made mildly infuriating. And if it kind of makes our skin crawl and makes us think, like, oh, we want to fix that, well, God has put in place a plan to fix us and to make us right the way that we're to be. And so that's essentially what this is kind of a point to and a reminder. And this is all leading to what Jesus has done for us. And if we remember then what the role of the priest was for, is that before Jesus, before Jesus made a way for us, that we needed this person to mediate between us and God um, just because of the havoc that sin had wreaked on our world and on our lives. It had made us imperfect from the way that God had created us. And so the priest um, would go for the people, in the presence of God, perform sacrifices, and then pronounce the forgiveness of sins for people and just to remind them and to exclaim to all of them, your sins are forgiven. But of course, not anyone could be a priest. And it was introduced a few chapters ago in chapter 5. The book of Hebrews is explaining this. He's teaching us all this so that you don't have to read like 12 different chapters in the Old Testament to put this together. But he said in chapter 5, verse 4, no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when called by God, just as Aaron was. And so aside from that big list of qualifications that we read, um, one of the main requirements, as we talked about, was had to be from this line, this family line of Aaron, just born into it. It wasn't that you weren't good enough, that your arm was too weird or whatever. God had just specifically picked this family to fulfill this role. And so this is actually one of the reasons um, that the religious leaders around Jesus' time were so upset with what he was doing. Because Jesus walked around acting like a priest. He would heal a paralyzed man and then say, your sins are forgiven. And if you were a priest at that time who met all these qualifications and who was from this family line and was able to show your documented lineage that you were a priest, and then this teacher rabbi comes into town healing people and forgiving sins, then of course you can kind of see how they were infuriated. They recognize, like, by, by whose authority are you doing this? And you're doing this wrong. One, you're supposed to have this documented lineage that you're from the tribe of Levi, the descendant of Aaron. Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. And you're supposed to do this in the temple, in this special place that we made. 
but yet you're doing this like in villages for random people. And so when Jesus was doing this, he was showing that he was operating as a priest from this different order, and it was infuriating these people. And actually, when they're wondering, you know, by what authority are you doing this? I mean, we know now, well, Jesus is doing this by his authority as God. But acting like a priest here, the book of Hebrews is going to explain that he's actually doing this by the authority of this ancient line of priests, the order of Melchizedek. Um, that Jesus was going around healing the sick and declaring sins forgiven. And they're wondering, by what authority does he have? And chapter 5 explains this. It says, in the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest. Right? He didn't just walk up and say, I want to do this now. But God said to him, you are my son. Today I have become your father. So just by virtue of Jesus being God, being a member of the Trinity, he's able to do this. And then he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And so he's quoting Psalm 10 here. And Psalm 10 was about the Messiah, and it was about how the Messiah was going to be a king, was also going to be a priest in the order of Melchizedek, which they were confused about for a long, long time. He was a king, had to be from David's line, and a priest had to be from Levi's line. But yet the Messiah would be both. And Jesus came and was both here. And he's a priest on account of this authority. And so everybody understands now, right? Okay, order of Melchizedek, it works. But yet there's still a lot of unanswered questions, right? Um, because Melchizedek is this ancient figure, it's kind of confusing. Well, what exactly does he have to do with that? And so enter chapter 7 here, where we mentioned that Melchizedek is only in two different places. He's in Genesis 14, and then he's in that psalm that we just read. That's one of the other intros of him. Um, but in Hebrews chapter 7, he's basically kind of summarizing the story from Genesis chapter 14 here. Um, he basically is telling us, okay, here's a summary of this guy. You know about this guy. And if you guys are Christians, as he's, he's preaching to the Hebrews, if you believe that you are saved by grace through faith, if you believe that Jesus has forgiven your sins, if you believe that now you have access to God through Jesus, then you need to understand this guy Melchizedek. And that's what he's telling us here. And so I think, let's do that. Let's understand who Melchizedek is. Um, and he kind of summarizes the story, um, but we can just look at Genesis 14, because it's really not that long. Um, but if you go to Genesis chapter 14, um, it begins with this story about what's called the War of Kings. Basically, kings are doing what kings do. Uh, there were a bunch of um, eastern Canaanite kings who didn't pay their taxes, and so there are a bunch of like western kings who are mad about that, and they form these alliances, and they go to war with one another. And so there's this huge war with all these kings, all these nations fighting one another. And Abraham's nephew, Lot, in the process of the war and the chaos, is kidnapped and taken away. And so Abraham basically puts together um, this special forces team of only about 300 men and goes on a night raid to rescue Lot. And it's successful. And it's so successful, not only do they rescue Lot, but they rescue all of these women and children that had been kidnapped, and they retrieve all of this stolen stuff that had been taken from the towns and everything, and then they even chase these invading armies out. Um, and so, right after this, Abraham is victorious. God blessed them with this victory, and they're celebrating. And Abraham is going back down to meet with the king of Sodom to basically return all these kidnapped people 
and to return a lot of the riches and a lot of the wealth. And it's while he's on his way there that we pick up the story in Genesis 14, verse 17 here. And this is what happens next, after this victory, after all this stuff. And after Abraham returned from defeating Kedorlaomer and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shaveh, that is, the king's valley. So king of Sodom, happy about this. Abraham just beat the guys that beat him up, and he's going to go celebrate with Abraham and retrieve the people that were kidnapped. But while Abraham was on the way, verse 18 happens. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of the Most High God. He blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by, mo by God Most High creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And that's it. That's all we have about Melchizedek. So you guys understand everything about Jesus now? Because that, right? You can kind of pick out some imagery, though, right away. Um, but that's really the whole narrative that we have, right? Abraham is coming back, or he's not even Abraham at this point, he's Abram, um, he's coming back to meet with the king of Sodom to celebrate this victory, and then this guy, um, all the way from Oregon, intercepted him and somehow like knew about this victory and served him bread and wine, and then Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. And that's all we have, but yet the author of Hebrews is telling us that this little mention in the book of Genesis is actually key to understanding who Jesus is. It's actually key to our entire faith. And that one... It should be shocking that this guy, Melchizedek, is a priest of the Most High God, which is actually the name of the God of the Bible, the God that we are gathered around worshiping now. He's a priest of the same God that the Israelites would have high priests for, but the Israelites don't even exist yet at this point, technically. Abraham is still Abram. He hasn't had any kids yet. And this is about six to 700 years before Aaron and before the Levitical line of priests even comes up. And so Melchizedek is a Gentile priest, but somehow leading worship and being a high priest for God. He's being a spiritual authority, and it's kind of mysterious how does he have this spiritual authority. And then he pronounces this blessing on Abram, which is significant, and then Abram gives him a tenth, or a tithe, because that's what tithe means, it means a tenth of all of his spoils to him. And Abram is tithing to him just like you would tithe to the priests later. And that's the story. And so there's something important here um, to be gained about who Jesus is through this guy. And the first one, um, he explains this. So then if you jump back to Hebrews chapter 7, um, he's going to go through this narrative and he's going to kind of explain um, each little bit here why this is important. And it's in verse 2 that he explains the connection in his name first off, that the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. And then he says, then also king of Salem means king of peace. Okay, so he's the king of righteousness. He's the king of peace. Um, we know king of Salem, it's not Oregon. It's actually the ancient name for the city of Jerusalem. So this Jerusalem, Salem, this name Salem was the ancient name for that city at the time. And it comes from the Hebrew word shalom, from where we get Salem, which means peace. And so this man, he's the king of this city, and he's essentially the king of peace. 
So the wheels are turning. We're kind of seeing some connection. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Okay, Jesus is the King of Righteousness, right? And we're starting to see some of those connections. And then it gets weird. Verse 3. He goes on. Melchizedek was without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. So he has no mother or father or genealogy. And this is kind of confusing. It kind of makes you wonder, where does he get that out of Genesis 14? Um, But what he's pointing out here is, remember, who can be a priest? People from the line of Aaron, right? The Levitical line, with a documented lineage. Prove to me that your grandpa is who you say it is. And yet, Melchizedek is not from that line. He actually lived six to seven hundred years before that line even existed. And he walked around as a priest of God. Apparently, this guy, Melchizedek, can be a priest because of some proclamation of God without this documented lineage. And that's what he's pointing out here, that he's without father, mother, he's without genealogy. Uh, A lot of people, I think, misunderstand this and make it out that he's this angelic figure, he's immortal, he was never born, or that he's an appearance of Jesus. And I don't think that's what he's getting at here. Um, I don't think that he was an appearance of Jesus, or that he was this immortal, eternal being. I'm pretty sure he was just a man. Um, But what the author of Hebrews here is saying is that he's without genealogy, he's without these qualifications that you need to be a priest. He didn't have that paperwork to prove it, right? Because if you were a priest, you needed that documented lineage that you were from, tribe of Levi, you were from this family of Aaron. Melchizedek didn't have that. You see, especially at this time, um, when the book of Hebrews was written, like genealogy was everything. Family history was everything. And the Jewish people were very intense on, on tracing back their roots um, to very important people in the Bible, tracing their roots to prove that they could be a Pharisee, they could be a Sadducee, they could be a religious leader in this case. And that's why the Apostle Paul, he would instruct Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1 to don't enter into these endless discussions on genealogies. Don't spend your whole time trying to prove who you're related to and enter into these discussions and by what authority you are right because things are different now. Now it doesn't actually really matter what these qualifications are. And so that's what he's pointing at here, that Melchizedek is a priest of the same God, but he doesn't have this genealogy. He isn't connected to this family line. He has been made a priest by God himself, and no human actually mediated this interaction between him and God, that God has declared him a priest. Now, one of the other reasons that people think he might be kind of immortal or an appearance of Jesus is because Hebrew says that he's without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Um, And he's going to point out in a few verses that the priests in Israel, like there were a ton of them because they were all human, and after a while, humans do what humans do, and they would pass away, and you have to get another one, and then they'd pass away, and you have to get another one, and there were a lot of priests constantly kind of changing in and changing out, And it was a big deal um, when you change a priest. But in the Genesis 14 story, it doesn't say anything about that. We don't have any information about his birth, any information about his end of life. All we have is this little instruction. All we have is this little story. That Melchizedek's priesthood essentially didn't ever end. And he's resembling of the Son of God. He's resembling Jesus. um, That he 
never had to like retire and get another job when he was 50, but it seemed like he just continued on to be a priest forever. And so this, this is the resemblance of Jesus, this perpetual service where Jesus is also the priest forever. He's not done at any point. There's not any like cutoff point. And it almost looks here like just as Melchizedek doesn't have a recording. Okay, that's just like a human sign towards the spiritual reality of Jesus actually being immortal and of Jesus actually having this role that will never end. And so this, this is actually what allows us to be royal priests according to what Jesus has done for us. Some of us are probably um, pretty familiar with 1 Peter chapter 2, where it says that you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That once you were not a people, right? He didn't have the qualifications like we all had to sit down, but now you are the people of God. That once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And you see, none of us had the genealogy, didn't have the right to be in God's presence. We didn't have all of these lists of qualifications that was required. But not by our own qualifications, our own resume, our own genealogy, but actually by this family we've been adopted into, this line of Jesus, and Jesus doing a better job and actually never ending. So when he starts and makes the rules, it continues on forever, that we, we have this access and we're allowed in the very presence of God. We're allowed to proclaim the goodness of God and we're made, these people, able to be in God's presence because of him. Even though we didn't meet the qualifications, it's not based on our qualifications, it's based on his. And then verse four continues on. I think an appropriate response. Just think how great he was. And he's speaking about Melchizedek here. That even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. And now the law requires the descendants of Levi, who become priests, to collect a tenth from the people. That is, from their fellow Israelites, even though they also are descended from Abraham. This man, however, did not trace his descent from Levi, yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. And without doubt, the lesser is blessed by the greater. In the one case, the tenth is collected by people who die, but in the other case, by him who is declared to be living. One might even say that Levi, who collects the tenth, paid the tenth through Abraham. One might say that. He's essentially saying if Abraham, I mean, if Levi's a descendant of Abraham, Levi was in Abraham at the time, and so one might even say Levi tithed to Melchizedek. Because when Melchizedek met Abraham, Levi was still in the body of his ancestors. Okay? And so if Jesus is a priest in this order, he's better. He's superior. He is actually the one that these other priests that had been mediating between man and God this whole time is actually the one that these guys should be giving to and these guys should be tithing to. And we can continue on. If you jump down, we're on verse 11 here. This is what he says. If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, and indeed the law given to the people established that the priesthood, that why was there still need for another priest to come? One in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron. For when the priesthood is changed, the law must be changed also. 
he of whom these things are said belonged to a different tribe. Yeah, we'll get into that. And no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah. So Jesus, he's from this different tribe, this different family line. And in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. So Jesus, you know, he went walking around, acting like a priest, but yet he's from this different line. And what the author of Hebrews is saying was, Jesus, he is from this different line that's actually even better than what you're used to, than what you were looking for here. Verse 15 continues on. And what we have said is even more clear. If another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest, not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, right, not about genealogy, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. So Jesus is better, not because of these qualifications that they thought they were looking for, but Jesus is better because of his indestructible life, as it says here, that Jesus conquered death, that these people were gathering around the worship of God and around the worship of Jesus because of his resurrection, because he defeated death, because he's actually the creator God. And that's actually better than the priesthood that they had before. And so the last priesthood, that whole line that met all those qualifications, it was great, very impressive, very important, but it actually only served to point to Jesus. And it was fulfilled in Jesus. It was just serving to remind us of what Jesus would do, to remind us of this holy calling that God has placed on each and every one of us so that when Jesus would come, that we would recognize it, that we would see it. But then, as he pointed out, all those priests, they were just humans. They were just as sinful. And so while they were performing sacrifices and pronouncing forgiveness of sins, it was really just buying time. It was really just covering sins. But Jesus is actually the one who can do something about the problem, who can actually forgive sins, who can actually pronounce this because he wasn't just a human priest in these orders, but he was the creator God, that he was actually the one who gave life in the first place, that Jesus didn't just cover over sins, but Jesus actually heals the human condition and Jesus actually gets to the root of sin. Jesus actually gave us the Holy Spirit so that we would be born again and made new, that our old sinful, broken nature would be stripped away, to be made conformed into him and his image. So what he's pointing out here is just how much better Jesus did than the previous way. And so now, this new priesthood, through which we are able to draw near to God, is through Jesus. If you jump down to verse 23, it says, Now there have been many of those priests, since death prevented them from continuing in office, but Jesus lives forever. He has a permanent priesthood. So if you consider those qualifications that we looked at for priest and what would make a good priest, um, it's a big list, it's a pretty exclusive list, um, but even that fell short of what was needed because what was also needed is someone who would never die and someone who would be available 24-7. And then nobody would be able to fulfill that. Um, they couldn't work 24-7 and they couldn't go on forever. Eventually, it would end. No one is qualified. This is actually too big of a job. Going between humans and God, too big of a job for any human to actually do. The needs are too great. 
This job is too big. And it was only because Jesus, the creator God, became human that he's actually able to handle how big, how tough of a job this is. He's actually able to help sinful people like us, right? So that we could be in God's presence again. And it goes on in verse 25. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins, and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once and for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priest men in all their weakness, but the oath, which came after the law, appointed the Son, or God's word appointed him, God's instruction appointed Jesus, who has been made perfect forever. And so we have this high priest who's qualified like no other high priest has been qualified because he is God himself. He is the one who created life, who holds life, who holds the power over sin and death. Bless you. And if you remember um, the story of the creation of the official priesthood, right? Aaron served as the first one. Um, that story takes place during the Exodus, right? At the base of Mount Sinai was when they were starting to become God's people and God entered into a covenant with them. And during the Exodus, you'll remember that at Mount Sinai, God was at the top of the mountain. The people were at the base of the mountain. And it was not safe for people to go in God's presence. They couldn't even actually touch the mountain or else they would die, right? And so Moses had to go up to the mountain to meet with God and to be in his presence and then come down and speak with the people. And this is showing kind of the separation between God and mankind. Showing the separation of God up top and us at the bottom in desperate need for him. That we need him to save us and to protect us. As you see in the story of the Exodus, you just see how much God is providing for them and saving them and rescuing them, and they would not have done it without him. And they need to be with him and in his presence. But there's still this division, there's still this separation. And yet, you can see that though there's this need to go up and to be between God, and, and for years, God did these, these commandments in order to point to what Jesus would do, that what happened in Jesus isn't that he just sent down this list of qualifications and said, okay, here are the rules. Figure this out, clean yourself up, and then start hiking, come up here and meet with me. Instead, Jesus, as the creator God, is actually the one who came down off the mountain. That Jesus actually didn't expect us to make our way up, but he actually came down to meet with us. And do you see this here, right? That this is huge, that Jesus as a high priest works so much differently than it had before. And now we get to see that he allows us in the presence of God, that because he has assumed this role, that he's actually made this way. And instead of us, you know, recognizing this great chasm between us at the bottom and him at the top, and all the work that we're going to have to do to get up there, Instead, Jesus actually came down and did that work for us. And we recognize what this says, and this might be 
kind of a hard thing that some of us will have to wrestle with is this assumption that we need a high priest. Um, a lot of people don't recognize um, the fact that we might be at the bottom in our sinful nature and God might be up on the mountain and that there is this separation. That isn't a very popular message and that isn't something that everyone agrees with, right? Um, that we are so compromised or that we are so in need because of our sin. That's not quite what everyone agrees with. I think we recognize that. Um, but honestly, this is the underlying story of the whole Bible, that, that we aren't okay, um, that we aren't really doing the human thing very well, that all it takes is, you know, a little time looking on the news to see that as we try to figure out how to be humans, we ruin one another's lives, we ruin God's planet, and that we are so sinful and weak and broken. And that there is only one qualified person to heal us and to save us. Um, and it's Jesus, not just with some good teaching or with a sacrifice to kind of cover it, but who will actually heal our sinful nature. Who actually is the creator God who created everything. He's the one who holds the power of life, and he actually took on himself all of our sin and then went to the grave with it and left it there and then rose from the grave for us. And so all of our brokenness, all of the ways in which we don't measure up and we don't meet the list of qualifications, Jesus took that with him to the grave and then comes and offers us life. Offers life to anyone who would turn to him in faith. And he offers to be our priest, right? And we need Jesus to do this. We need a priest. And I recognize, you know, a lot of people don't. Um, believe this assumption. It's kind of the American individualist idea, right? That like uh, the freedom mindset that like the mountain is there, we're here, well, we just find our own way up, right? We can do this. We're strong. We just pick a path, find it. They all lead up to the top, right? And that's actually the view of the organization that I could get ordained for for $20, right? All paths lead there. It's good. And some of you in here might honestly think that and believe that. And that's great. You're welcome here. You're probably looking for the other common ground, but we're happy that you are here, right? Because I think I can respect the view that recognizes that, yeah, there's like a responsibility. There's like a difference. There's a different place from where we are and where God is. And we need to find a way to get there. Um, but what we gather around here is not the story that like, hey, here are all these options. Just pick one and go for it. Um, we gather around a different story that I think is a lot more freeing. And that's the reality that we don't just have to pick and find our way up there. Because if I had to do that, I'll tell you right away, I'm too weak to do that, and I'd be toast. I wouldn't be able to make it up on my own. But actually, Jesus came down and just carried me up. He just came down and took us up and did all that work for us. So we gather around that view. The view that if we think we can just make it up on our own, like we're kidding ourselves. We're kidding ourselves to think that we have the strength. But we actually don't have to do that. That we can just recognize that Jesus has offered to come down and to carry us up. That I have no chance, that I am too weak. That we need God to come off the mountain and to carry us up. But that's what Jesus' priesthood is all about. Of God doing what none of us could do. Of Jesus fulfilling this role that none of us could fulfill. 
And he says, look, believe in me, believe in what I have done for you, enter the rest that I offer, that you receive through faith in me, and just accept that. And believe that I'm the one who has done all this work, that's fit all the qualifications, and now I have made you able to be in God's presence. And that's kind of the story of Melchizedek. That's how Melchizedek points to Jesus, that Jesus is a priest in this different line who's done this work for us that none of us could do. That the God that we are separated from actually came down to do that work for us. So we're actually going to, um, we're going to enter into communion now. Uh, we're going to enter into a time of communion. And um, the whole idea of this passage is um, Jesus as a priest, um, a priest who comes out to meet with us, to declare our sins forgiven. The Jesus who is available 24-7 for us. And we believe that and we recognize that. And when we celebrate communion, we are remembering that when Jesus first instituted the communion meal, um, he was celebrating the Passover with his disciples. And he instituted it as a covenant meal, as a covenant ceremony to legitimize this relationship that he was entering into, to legitimize this belief of the disciples agreeing that, Jesus, you are our priest. You are the one who allows us to be in God's presence, that your body has been broken for us, that your blood has now made us clean to be able to enter into God's presence. And Jesus is instituting that here. And he declares that every time you partake in this covenant meal, that you're acknowledging that, that you are agreeing that, agreeing to that, agreeing to these terms of the covenant, that you couldn't do it on your own, but you're entering the rest that is offered to you by faith to allow me to, and to believe in me. And because of that, you're made right, and you're made clean. And so I'll go ahead and invite the worship team up, but as we enter this time, as we consider Jesus as our high priest, uh, this probably affects all of us a little differently. Um, some of us might still be wrestling with this idea that maybe we need a priest, um, that maybe we need someone to mediate between us and God. Um, we thought, like, you know, I thought I was doing pretty good. I thought I was doing all right. And the gospel comes along and says, like, no, you need help. <laughs> but I'm here to help you. That there's really this only way up the mountain, but it's good and it's freeing because I will carry you up. And so to participate in this for you, um, that might just include you recognizing and affirming to God that you are accepting his work, and that you're affirming that he has done what you could not do on your own. Recognizing our own sinful nature and accepting um, the work that Jesus did on the cross. Other, others of us, um, we probably have a pretty good understanding of Jesus as our high priest. We are maybe a little too aware of our sinful, broken nature, and so when we come um, before our high priest, some of us, I think, oftentimes can just be strapped um, with the guilt and the shame of recognizing our, our sinful nature. And as you come to your high priest today, uh, would you just recognize that, that this covenant meal we're entering into reminds us that Jesus' body was broken for all that and that his blood was shed to wash all that away. And so now as you come before Jesus, your high priest, he declares you 
forgiven. He declares you clean. And he's made this way for you to be in God's presence. He came off the mountain and he did it for you. And so maybe that's the way that you interact with, with your high priest today. And then some of you, uh, maybe you're just seeking direction in your life. Uh, maybe um, today um, you have big decisions ahead of you. You have changes before you and you just need the high priest to be available to you. You just need a high priest who works 24-7 and whose job doesn't end. And I just want to remind you that during this time that Jesus is that as well. And Jesus is the God um, who directs. He's the high priest who's available to intercede on your behalf, to speak with God for you. And so if during this time, um, if that's where you're at, um, would you just pray for direction to God? As you recognize the sacrifice that he's made for you, and as you recognize that you have this high priest who cares for you and is speaking to God on your behalf. And so as we enter into this time, I'm going to just give you time um, to allow Jesus to be the mediator between you and God. Uh, and so you're going to be self-paced. Um, we're going to have two songs um, that we will worship to over this next little time. And you are free to come up and to grab communion. Uh, we have two tables in the front and one in the back. Um, to grab communion at your own pace and to go before your high priest, to go before God. Um, thanking him for the sacrifice or wherever it is that you're at here as you consider the work that he's done for you. And so I'm going to go ahead and pray. And then we're going to enter into a time of worship. And we're going to meet with our high priest, Jesus, um, who is here and who is active and who is working. So would you bow your heads with me as we pray? So Father God, and we just thank you for the sacrifice of your son. We just thank you for sending him to do what we could not do on our own do the work of forgiving sins and for healing our condition, God. And we just come before you humbly. Um, some of us, um, we just come before you still thinking that maybe maybe we can do it on our own, um, but, but it's exhausting, it's tiring. And so we just come before you repentant, acknowledging that we have tried to go our own way, but we want to surrender to you and we ask that you would do this for us. And God, some of us just come before you with with just a real acute sense of guilt and shame. And so, God, how would you just speak the message of your son on the cross over us? Would you just speak to the hearts in here that your body was broken for the punishment of our sins and your blood was shed for making us clean? Would you just speak that over us? And then, God, as some of us just seek direction and wisdom from you, how would you do what only you as our high priest can do? your spirit be speaking, directing, leading in this time. And so Jesus, we just turn to you in this time as an act of worship. And we love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. There is strength within the sorrow.
your plans are still to prosper. You have not forgotten us. You're with us in the fire. I 
as you go today, I just hope that this is a great reminder for you to remember that because of what Jesus did, that you are made whole, that his body was broken for you, that you are made clean, that you are able to be in God's presence. And as you go, would you leave um, with the words from 1 Peter chapter 1? I'm at 1 Peter chapter 2. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So grace and peace, Commerce Church. Have a wonderful week.